Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit HopeChurchLV.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast to help spread Hope Church to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. All right, all right. Good morning, Hope Church family. So glad you made it here. I know several people are joining us online more than normal today because of the weather, but you're here. You're in the room. I ask you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. Grab your apps, grab your Bibles there. We're going to be in the Word of God. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Scott. Would love the privilege. Uh, later on in our service out in the lobby, I would love the chance to meet you, see how we can't get you connected and what God is doing here. Genesis 37, we'll be there in just a minute. I want to bring you all the way back to elementary school. I remember it was 1995. I was nine years old over at Dooley Elementary School in Henderson, and every kid in the country, probably the world, had their sights set on one particular shoe. It was the biggest shoe of the year, and I had to have it. Just like many other kids, I wanted to be the first one to get it. And of course, I'm talking about the Nike Air Max Uptempo 95s right there, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And I praise God, in 1995, my generous parents helped me be the first kid on the playground at Dooley Elementary with the freshest kicks in the school. I had the 95 Uptempos, and I was the coolest kid on campus for just a few months. Then, of course, as it goes, the Nike Air Max Uptempo 96s came out, and then I all of a sudden was unoriginal and behind the times. So I had to figure out another way, like so many of us do even to this day, to try to keep up. As I look back, I'm looking at junior high and high school, and when you start looking at what students, and honestly, even us now today, we are constantly just trying to outdo the people around us in fashion or in possessions, and the way we culturally have kind of framed it up that you probably heard of is keeping up with the Joneses. It's an idiom that means we try to keep up with comparative benchmarks with our friends or our social circles or our peers or neighbors. We are constantly trying to outdo other people or keep up with what other people are doing. But what I want to do today is I want to lean into what might be underneath all that. You see, if you really peel back the layers on what keeping up with the Joneses is really revealing, it, it's something that's driving some of us crazy. And not just out there, but even in the church. And it's not only driving us crazy, it might be killing some of our joy that we have as followers of Jesus. If you've been here the last few weeks, this will be review. But if you're new, I need to tell you we're in a series right now where we are highlighting the one of the goals of, of following Jesus is that we would be filled up with an unbelievable kind of joy, a joy that can only come from Jesus. We actually have been looking at the fact that if you are in Christ, there's nothing you have to do to get that joy. There's nothing you have to accomplish to have that available to you. It's already been given to you in Christ. It's part of the package of being in a relationship with Jesus. 
John chapter 15, we've been looking at this verse all, all series long. Jesus is talking to his disciples about what it looks like to follow him, to be in a relationship. The Bible word is abide. And he says, here's why I'm telling you all of this. Look at it in John 15, 11. He says, these things, this is Jesus talking, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. There it is. Jesus is saying, this is part of the package of what it looks like to be in a relationship with me. Joy overflowing. The problem is that we've been highlighting these last few weeks. In my experience, and maybe in many of yours, joy is not overwhelmingly what we're experiencing in the Christian life. So we've been trying to ask the question, why? We believe the reason why, one of the many reasons why, is that there's some things under the surface, some sins under the surface that are doing what we named the series after, killing our joy. So the solution, what we've been saying, how do we move forward? The solution that we're given in the word of God is to fight it. More poignantly, to wage war on these sins under the surface. Some of you need to put some Bible on that for me to show you that this is in the Word of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. This is one of those verses, church, I hope you underline, circle, memorize. This is how we live our lives. Paul the Apostle writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, Holy Spirit lives inside of you if you're a follower of Jesus, if by the Spirit you put to death, it's really strong in the original language. It literally means to annihilate or to destroy. Destroy what? The deeds of the body you will live. So that's the series. We are saying how can we, by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, wage war against the things that are killing our Joy. We've been looking at some Old Testament stories that if we're not careful, we just say, oh, those are, those are stories that we've heard of that have no relevance to our lives. The problem is the same sins that are in these stories are under the surface of our lives still today, and we can learn from them as we make war against them. Last week, we looked at the pride and rebellion that started in the garden is still at work today, and today we set our sights on two more sins under the surface. Here they are, envy and anger. Envy and anger. Here's the big idea where we're headed in our message today. Our sinful hearts are prone to want what other people have and get angry that we don't have it. We wanna, don't just wanna highlight that. We wanna say, and that's true, so let's make war against it. Let's figure out by the power of the Spirit how to fight it. So hopefully you have the notes there open. We have a, an app that has some notes. We'll, we'll be working our way through those. But we've been given some resources because the reality is we can't dive all the way into all these stories. There's much too much to unpack. So we've had some resources at the bottom of our notes page on our app that you can click on to, to learn more about the story last week as well as the story list this week because a lot has happened in 37 chapters or 34 rather since Genesis chapter 3 to where we're gonna find ourselves in Genesis chapter 37 today. So a recap of what's happened so far in the word of God is Adam and Eve were created by God in a perfect world, but because of their sin, they brought evil and death into the world. Just so you know, the entire Bible is actually a redemption story of how God was going to fix what we fractured in Genesis 3. The whole Bible is a redemption story of God fixing what was broken in the garden. 
So we see the Genesis story continues, and God eventually chooses a man named Abraham. He is a father named Father Abraham, and he did have many sons. Some of you have heard that song. It's true. Eventually, this man would bring a chosen people that eventually Jesus Christ himself would be born from this family to redeem all that was broken in the beginning. But this chosen line was passed on through Abraham's son Isaac and then Isaac's son Jacob. God would change Jacob's name to Israel. I remember I was 20 years old when I first heard that Israel is a man's name, not just a country. The country's actually named after the man's name who was Jacob. Some of you are like mind blown. I remember when I was there as well. Genesis, Genesis tells the story of Jacob and his family. Now this family, ladies and gentlemen, is a dysfunctional family. If you just need to be encouraged on Maybe how jacked up your family is, read the book of Genesis. <laughs> I'm telling you, you will be encouraged. This is straight out of the 90s, Jerry Springer type stuff. <laughs> You're gonna see. So Jacob and his family have this terrible sin that we're gonna read about today, but in it, we can learn from our own tendencies. Genesis 37, hopefully you have the word of God open there. We're gonna look first at verses one through three. Here's the word of the Lord. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock of his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhal and Zilpah, his father's wives. With an S. You see what I'm talking about? It's not God's original plan. This is sin in the works right here. This is Jerry Springer right here in verse 37 or chapter 37. Joseph brought a bad report to them, to their father, of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than, uh, than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. Some of you have heard the coat of many colors or Joseph and the technicolor dream coat. I'm not sure it was technicolor, but it all comes from Genesis chapter 37. So that's the scene. We have this man named Joseph and his brothers and their, their father, Jacob. And as we make our way through this story, we're gonna see three movements specifically of envy and anger that I want us to pay attention to. Here is the first one, the seeds of envy and anger. The seeds. I want us to see this move and progress throughout our time together. Look at verse four. But when his brothers saw their father loved him more than all his brothers. They hated him. They could not speak peacefully to him. Why did they hate this brother? Because they saw the love that their father had for him. See, when they saw this happening, it was a seed that was planted that we're gonna see all throughout our time together today. It just continues to grow and to fester and to begin to bear fruit in some very destructive ways. They saw what they wanted and it's what they did not have. And it creates envy and anger and hatred that is going to do some serious damage later on in the story. But before we continue, let's do some work on these two ideas that we're looking at, these two sins under the surface, envy and anger. I wanna make sure we're all on the same page on what these two things are. Here's a definition of envy. Resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by someone else. We see this in this story. The brothers were resentfully aware that their brother Joseph had an advantage that they didn't have, namely their father's love. 
And so this seed of envy begins to grow into some very destructive ways. And I want us to pause throughout our time together and think about our own lives. We never just want to read these stories to get more knowledge. Knowledge is great, but how does this apply to our lives? How does the word of God bear weight on our lives? I want you to think specifically about this question. What do you see in your life that are seeds of envy which lead to anger? I think it's really important and takes some maturity to understand and recognize what are the things that I know I need to be careful of because if I'm not careful, there's some things that are in my life that I see that will begin to grow into envy and anger and maybe possibly hatred. What makes envy and anger arise in you? We're gonna ask some hard questions of our lives today that take some maturity to really answer. Maybe for you, you see someone at work get a promotion. You have to recognize in you there is a tendency to not just see that and be excited for them, but to actually begin to envy them and maybe grow to anger and hatred. You need to ask the Lord by his spirit to help you put that to death, even though you see it, that it wouldn't be a seed that grows. Maybe for you, you struggled with infertility and you go to a baby shower and you see the fruit of the womb in somebody else's life. And if you're not careful, it begins to do something to you or you're somebody who desires to be married, but God hasn't allowed that season to be true in your life yet. So when you go to a wedding, are you aware that there's something in you when you see that that might grow into something that could be very destructive? The blessing of other people's lives, new car, new home, new job. These are things we see like Joseph's brothers saw their father's love and it moved them to anger and hatred. I want to double click on this word anger for a minute because there's no way to be righteously envious, but there is a way to be righteously angry. So let's do some work on anger. I need everyone in the room to hear there is an anger that we can have that is actually good and right. Sometimes it's right to be angry. You say, what do you mean? When you see things, especially as a follower of Jesus in the world that grieve the heart of God, you and I, we should be righteously angry at things that break the heart of God, sin and evil and injustice. These are things that should anger in us, but it's a righteous kind of anger. Jesus, one of my favorite stories, I encourage you to go read it later, John chapter 2 Jesus is righteously angry. I love this story because it kind of pushes back on this meek and mild Jesus that a lot of us have come to know and hear about. But Jesus is approaching some people that are using worship and the worship of God for sinful financial gain. And in John chapter two, he does not mildly suggest to these people that they should go do their business elsewhere. Go read it. Bible says he flips over their tables and drives them out with a whip. How about that? I want to see that coloring page in the children's story. <laughs> Jesus flipping over tables, driving them out. What is this? He's righteously angry at what grieves the heart of God. Listen, as followers of Jesus, there should be anger that arises in us when we see things that break God's heart. We should be angry at child abuse and domestic violence and abortion and sex trafficking and racism and all sorts of evil around us. There's something in us that says that's not how God designed it and it should do something to us. So we know that God's word says there's an anger that is right, but an 
anger derived from my own selfishness, envy, insecurity, sinful desires. This is always not righteous anger, but sinful anger. And there's some sinful anger, I believe, seething under the surface of some of our lives that we need to fight. So the question, of course, is how do you know? I'm in a moment where I I don't know if this is sinful anger or righteous anger. I know, again, it takes some maturity to really ask the question, why am I angry right now? I don't know, for me, when I ask that question, it becomes pretty clear, pretty quick, whether this is righteous anger or sinful anger. I love how the late, great Pastor Tim Keller said it. He's talking about how to discern what kind of anger you're dealing with. He says, more often than not, you'll immediately be embarrassed because many times the thing you're angrily defending is your ego, your pride, or your self-esteem. I felt this probably more than I'd like to feel this. And still, there's other people, before we move on and get back to the story, that kind of blame their sinful anger on, that's just kind of the way we are. If you knew my family all throughout the history, we're just hot-tempered people. We are just people that get angry very quickly. It's just the way we are. And you just gotta know, to that, I would actually agree with you. In your flesh, that is the way you are, but that is not a badge of honor to brag about. That is a sin to mourn and put to death. And to call out and say, that's not who I have to be in Christ. So why Spurgeon said, do not say, I cannot help having a bad temper. Friend, you must help it. Pray to God to help you overcome it at once. For either you must kill it or it will kill you. That's what we're trying to do in this series. To just call these things out by the power of the Spirit. Make war. So that's what envy and anger are. Let's get back to the story. Genesis 37, verse 5, open your Bibles. Now, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Now, Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. Read verse 6 and 7. Basically, spoiler alert, the, the dream is, one day I will rule over all of you, and you will bow down to me. Now, I don't know if you have any siblings in your home. I got four of them. This is not going well for little brother Joseph to stand up at the dinner table and say, let me tell you how this is all gonna play out, guys. One day, you're gonna all bow to me. This is not going to go well. And it doesn't. Skip down to verse eight, where we see the progression of envy and anger. We're gonna see this now moving somewhere. This is our second movement. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. This thing is building. Remember, it was just a seed that they saw that has grown. This even more in the original Hebrew language this is written in. It's a word that speaks to the intensity building. And some of us have felt that. When something happens, there's something that's rising in you and it feels like it might have legs and some passion behind it what's happening in this story, and that's what happens in our lives. It reminded me of a proverb that I read this week, Proverbs 14. People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy or envy is like cancer in the bones. What are we reading here? We're reading about something that's metastasizing in these brothers. 
It's a cancer in the bones that is growing as they sit and stew. And Joseph doesn't help it by egging it on, yes, but in them is something that's growing. And again, let's think about our own lives. Maybe even this week, maybe even this morning, something happens, a word is spoken, something arises in your home or in your mind or on your phone, and there's fuel added to the fire, and you're sitting and stewing, and there's some cancer that's metastasizing in your anger. We have to be mature enough to recognize the very things that fuel this in our lives. I know several years ago, I recognized something that if I'm not careful, will fuel this in my life and probably some of yours as well. And that is, of course, the amazing tool, but the dangerous tool, social media. I don't know of something more prevalent in our lives that fuel this envy and anger in us better than social media. Now, listen, I am not here to smear social media. I believe it's an incredible tool, but it could also be a devastating trap. You just have to understand, we live in a culture that profits over making us envious and angry. We've seen it. We're just polar opposites, so polarizing, and literally we all the time are being fed some lies that if we're not careful, we're just scrolling people's coats of many colors all day long, and it's doing something to us. We need to be aware of it. We don't need to run from it necessarily, maybe. I know several people that just can't even mess with it because they know it does something to them that is not worth the reward that they get. Mark Sayers is a pastor and cultural commentator in Australia. He said this so well. He said, when it comes to social media, we've gone from being the consumers to being the product. Listen, it can be an amazing tool, but it can also be super devastating because we come face-to-face -face every day with curated versions of what we think we want or we think we need, but we do not have. And if you were just real honest and mature about it in your heart, you would say, it's doing something to me, maybe killing my joy even as a follower of Jesus. I'm not saying the comparison trap started with social media. We read last week the comparison trap started in Genesis 3. But in my experience, the comparison trap was turned up to about 100 the first time I downloaded Instagram. <laughs> I want to give you an example of this because we hear this phrase that we compare our bloopers to other people's highlight reels. We probably heard that, and that's true. We compare our bloopers to other people's highlight reels, but I just wanna, on the ground, give you a perfect example of this from my own life. Here's a picture right here of my family. I love my family, my wife Candace, my four kids. And you look at that picture that we took a few months ago with my sister-in-law and think, wow, what a nice family picture, and it is. But can I tell you what happened three seconds before this picture was taken? <laughs> just a little bit behind the scenes of this photo shoot. I'm gonna tell you, Right there, well, there's a swamp behind us, and in this photo shoot, I was getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. They love my blood. And I was sneezing about every five seconds. Even in that picture, I know my face, and I'm thinking, take the picture so I can sneeze real quick. Bryce and Avery, my two oldest, were constantly fighting during this photo shoot. Bryce kept touching Avery's hair, and she had worked so hard on her hair. Aria and Blaine are constantly arguing about God knows what, and my beautiful wife just might have said to everybody, stop talking and start smiling! That's the result, right? And that's all you see. 
That's what you see. You don't hear about the story behind the story, but somehow we get tricked into seeing the final product that's curated and put together. And if we're not careful, actually getting envious on the thing that's actually not reality in the first place. This happens to us, church. This is a parable of our lives. Something like social media stirs up envy and anger in us, and it may not even be real what we're envying. So when we see the house that we think we need or the car that we think would be better or the spouse that's more helpful or attractive or the person in the gym that's fitter or the vacation that seems more grand, we are actually letting something stir in us that might not even be based in reality. So usually our response is to try to get the Air Max up-tempo 96s and keep up with the Joneses. So we ourselves find ourselves curating the post to keep up, figuring out ways to look the part, longing for fulfillment, and over and over and over again, we get angry that it's not giving us the satisfaction that it's promised. And for some of you right now, you're thinking, how did he know? Because I felt it. And as followers of Jesus, we have to have the maturity to say it's doing something to us. Why? Because our sinful hearts are prone to want what other people have and get angry that we don't have it. Before I move on from this, I'll quote the great rapping prophet, Andy Minio. In a song, he said, we own things we don't need to impress people we don't know, then we go broke trying to look rich. It's a great line of a song, but it's a story of some of our lives. The story goes on. His brothers are out working in a field, and Jacob tells Joseph to go check on them. And we're going to see here the deadly consequences of envy and anger. It's the third movement, third and final, the consequences of envy and anger. Pick it up in verse 18. They, that's the brothers, they saw him from afar, and before they came, he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Remember, this started as a seed where they saw something they wanted, and now it's come to murder. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. Their envy drove them to anger, which is now driving them to a very deadly action. Verse 18, that word, they conspired. In the original language, it's a word that means plan or strategize or plot. It's what our criminal justice system calls premeditated murder. They knew we have to get rid of this guy. That will make us feel better. But what I want us to see is this progression matters because it's the same progression that we feel. Something started in their heart when they saw what they wanted and it is now metastasized into something that is coming out of their lives in a deadly way. And the same is true of us, church. Whatever starts in our hearts, it may not equal mass you know, violence and murder like this, but it is doing something to us and coming out of our lives in some way, shape, or form. And the hard work we have to do is to ask the hard questions, how and what does it look like so I can stop it? That's why Jesus said in the greatest sermon ever preached, 
Matthew chapter five, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, incredible passage of scripture. And Jesus is talking about anger. And he says to the people, I'm paraphrasing, you know that it's wrong to murder. But I want you to know if you have sinful anger against your brother in your heart, you're guilty of that same murder. What's Jesus saying? What starts in your heart matters. Because somehow, some way, it's coming out of your life, maybe not in this kind of violence, but in some way that will have consequences. Jesus is showing us what happens in our heart is coming out of our lives. The question is, how do we stop it at the heart level? Back to the story. Joseph's big brother, Reuben, comes in to the rescue. Reuben to the rescue. He says, hey, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in this pit and leave him for dead. Pick it up in verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. What is this? This robe is an emblem of their envy. See, he had nothing to do with the robe, but the robe represented the love that the father had for him. So they said, give us that robe. What is this? It's that seed in the beginning taking action. Pick it up. They took him and threw him into a pit, verse 24, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And look at the beginning part of verse 25. Then they sat down to eat. When I read that, I think of how calloused these brothers were to what they had just done. This is their own flesh and blood. They rip this robe off him. They probably do some damage to him, rough him up a little bit, and then throw him for dead into this pit. And they don't run away to try to flee the thing that they just did because they feel so bad. No, they sat down right by the pit and had a snack because it's like it didn't even matter to them. So the same is true of our lives, church. We can get so close and so used to our sin that it doesn't even affect us anymore. We can just sit down and be callous to the very thing that is killing our joy. This is a tragic story, not just then, but right now on the ground in our lives. So again, every single week of this series, we don't want to just highlight the sins we want to say, okay, now that we have brought these out to the light, how do we kill these sins for the glory of God by the power of the Spirit in our lives? How do we fight? So we've been given, hopefully, some simple and practical ways to just start waging war against the sins under the surface. So here's the first thing, specifically when it comes to envy. You begin with gratitude. I feel what I felt last week when I said, read your Bible, right? It's like, that's it? <laughs> Well, you just like painted this really dark picture and you're gonna say, here's how you fight it. Be grateful. <laughs> like give us something. Give us an app to download or a five-step process. Like I need something a little more than that. What if it really is this simple as a way to fight and practice what kills, fight against what kills your joy? See, if you're like me, when I have my eyes fixed on others, I have a hard time being grateful. Constantly just looking around for what I don't have and I want. When my eyes are fixed on Jesus, in my heart starts to bubble up gratitude. We just sang it. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. This is an idea of, of saying, I know there's things out there that I want that I don't have, but instead of focusing on those things, I'm gonna focus on what you've already given me, namely joy and mercy and peace and forgiveness. This is what we do when we're grateful. 
Paul said this to the Colossian church, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body. And these three words, circle, circle, underline, circle. What if we started practicing this? And be thankful. Be thankful. Be grateful. If you're like me, I, I wake up pessimistic. <laughs> I wake up every morning. What can I do? What, what do I need to do? What are the things that I'm not? Like I'm constantly pessimistic about my own life. Maybe you are too. Because we have sinful hearts that are prone to only want what we don't have. But what if there was a way to to remind ourselves every single morning that you have a reason to be grateful. You have thousands of reasons to be grateful. In 2020, when the world was just going crazy, we all remember that. I read, was reading a book that was talking about this practice of practicing gratitude. And I praise God over the last few years, this has been a regular practice in my life as a way to drop an anchor of gratitude into my day first thing. After I get a cup of coffee, the first thing I do every single morning, I encourage you to practice this. As I get a journal out and I write down three things I am grateful for. Sometimes it's hard. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I have one right now because there's so many things that are clouding my mind of what I don't have and what I want. But God, I wanna be diligent by your power and by your grace to write down three things that I'm grateful for. So sometimes it's, I'm grateful for this cup of coffee. I'm grateful for this day off. I'm grateful for that kid who came in the middle of the night to our room and interrupted my sleep. Honestly, that night it really bothered me, but I know in 10 years I'm gonna want this back. So I'm grateful. What if we just became a church that was just looking for ways to praise God, looking for ways to be grateful as a way to push back in this culture that says, here's what you don't have. It's a way to say, yeah, but here's what God has allowed me to have already. Here's what God has allowed me to be grateful for. As I begin with gratitude, here's the second thing, you become content. A practice of gratitude creates a person of contentment. This is not something you can do, it's something you become as you practice gratitude. That's what I love, 1 Timothy chapter six says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of it. Praise God for that. I'm looking at a bunch of people that already have a whole lot more than they brought into this world. Praise God for that. We start thinking about that. That'll help us to be a content people. If, food, if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. Listen, church, I know this is not easy, but it is simple. What if we became a church that began to in the world that says, here's what you don't have, here's what you aren't, Here's what you want to be, but you can't. We just started praising God for the things he's already placed in our lives and say, God, I just want to be grateful. That's some practical, hopefully, handles on envy, but I want to put some stuff on the ground for, for anger. So I thought about this week. I want to make it as practical as possible. I have had to practice some of these things even this week. Here's a very practical, hopefully, filter and help for you as you practice being somebody who's fighting against the sinful anger in our lives Put in an acronym. Here's how you do your part. Here's how you do your part. In the moment, first thing you do, you pray. I'm not talking about saying, hey, hold on, time out. I know, like, boss, I'm really mad at you right now. I need to go in my prayer closet for a minute. No, 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 I'm talking about a shotgun prayer, breath prayer, God help me. Right now, I feel anger rising up in me, so I just wanna pray and ask you for help right now. You are the God that can give it to me in this moment. So pray in the moment when you feel anger rising. Second thing, we already talked about it, but it's a mature question. You gotta ask, why am I angry? 
you're like me, it becomes pretty clear pretty quick. Is this righteous anger or is this anger because I'm upset that these people have messed with my ego, my pride, my insecurity? Ask the hard question, why am I angry? Number three, respond to the Spirit. Tell me, this can all happen in like 15 seconds. God, I'm rising, anger's rising. Pray right now, help me. Why am I angry? Maybe you hear the prompting of the Holy Spirit to say, you're wrong on this one, Scott. What does it mean to, to respond to the Holy Spirit? Maybe it's right there in that moment. Repent and confess, okay, okay. I'm gonna walk away. I'm gonna step into what you're leading me to. Maybe, this is so hard, I'm gonna in this moment apologize. I'm gonna apologize to my nine-year-old for yelling at them in sinful anger. I'm gonna ask them for forgiveness. I'm gonna show them a picture of the gospel. Daddy needs Jesus too. What that could look like in our lives if people started practicing this, and then lastly, talk about it. Who are you processing this with? I love you men, specifically men, for whatever reason. We don't want to talk about it. We don't need to talk about it. The problem is we don't talk about it, and it keeps building and building and building over years and decades, and one day just explodes. Sometimes maturity says, let's talk about it. What makes you angry? What's leading you to this sinful anger? This is just the way you say, that's too simple. These are ways we fight this thing by the power of the Spirit. Just a few ways that we partner with the Spirit in what He wants to do in our lives. Then you know the story. I'll kind of close by talking about Joseph's incredible story. I encourage you to read it. The whole back half of Genesis is about Joseph. This amazing young man becomes a slave in Egypt. But because of his hard work and character and God's sovereignty, he's elevated to a ruler in Egypt. There's a lot of drama we don't have time to talk about that happens in those chapters. And then a massive famine strikes the land. Because of the way God's wired Joseph and his grace on his life, he's prepared. Egypt is one of the only places you can go for food and provision in all the land. So as fate would have it, the brothers that sold him into slavery come crawling back to the very person they sold who they didn't know is now a ruler in that very land asking for help. Now, I don't know about you. This is probably my sinful anger coming out. But if I'm Joseph, I'm like, yes, I've been waiting for this moment. I see them coming. I'm working on my speech. I'm about ready to smash them, right? That's how we feel. Maybe that's just how I feel. <laughs> Praise God. That is not what we see is Joseph's posture. Some of the last words in the book of Genesis are this right here when he's talking to his brothers who he sees. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, what a perspective. This is gratitude. This is, this is contentment of the sovereignty of God in our lives. To bring about it that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, we see even his end of his life, a picture of somebody who sees the things that come his way and are grateful and content, even though I promise you he did not have an easy road. We can learn from this story, but another thing we see in this story as I close I think we see a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus. We see this picture, and in the story, you have to know we as human beings are the brothers. How are we the brothers? We are the ones who, who sinned and fell short. We are the ones who turned our backs on our Father and did what we were not supposed to do, ruining his plan for our lives. But Jesus in this story is the greater Joseph. Jesus did not wear a coat of many colors. Jesus put on flesh and dwelt among us. And as he lived a perfect life, there was, just like Joseph, a plot to kill him. 
But the plot was not thwarted like it was in Joseph's story. The plot went through and Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Three days later, he rose again from the dead to defeat death, hell, and stands now victoriously as the king of glory. And just like in this story, there was a famine in the land and there's a famine in the land right now, Hope Church. It's not for food and provision necessarily for all of us, but there's a famine in our land of satisfaction. Everybody's looking for satisfaction, but just like there was one place to find the provision and it was Egypt, there's one place to find that satisfaction and it's in Christ. And so we, like the brothers, come crawling back to the one place that we can find what we need and just like this story, what we do not find is Jesus saying, now prove yourself, earn it. No, he says, you are my family. I welcome you in to receive what I have, which is satisfaction and joy and peace and contentment. And this is a story of the gospel. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, please know if you come to Christ, he's not gonna tell you to prove yourself. He's not gonna tell you to, to earn your way. You could never anyways. He comes and he lets you come in with open arms to say, I'm, I came so that you might have life and joy and peace. So if you don't know Jesus, we're gonna stand and sing a song about that gospel, that he paid it all. What did he pay? The penalty for your sin and my sin. If you don't know Jesus, man, we would love to have a conversation this many people, there's some people in here that don't know Christ. Stop running away and trying to find satisfaction. There's one place to find it. And he's available right now to give it to you. For others of you who are followers of Jesus, where is God, just like we've asked this whole series, putting his hand of grace on your life, not guilt. Nothing about today is to make you feel guilty about yourself. It's to, by God's grace, lead you to the joy he's won for you. Lead you to the life that's full. So where has he put his hand of grace in your life that he is leading you to what he has for you? Would you just let him do it? Respond however it is that he's leading you to respond as we ask the Lord to do what he wants in this place. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit in this room right now that's moving and working and I believe resting on the hearts of every person here to lead us to, to respond to what it is you're asking us. So I don't know if it's use this altar as a place to just confess and repent and ask the Lord to move in a special way in your life and help you to fight these sins. Or maybe you wanna come pray with one of us as pastors and prayer leaders. Maybe you are somebody who doesn't know Jesus, wants to come up and just say, I need to know more about following Christ. All of that is available right now as we trust what he wants to do in this moment. Jesus, we ask you to move. Spirit, we trust that you're going to.